Thank you so much for listening to Pushing Praxis, Dialogues for Transforming Teaching. This is a podcast with Celeste and Nina, where we talk with educators, organizers, students, parents, and all stakeholders in the education of our young people. We're here to push ourselves to take theories and put them into practice in our classrooms, even and especially when it gets messy. Also, we're full-time educators, not professional podcasters. We're recording these conversations during the socially distanced pandemic, often on weeknights and from our respective homes. So expect background noise and fatigue and real unpolished human complexities showing up in these conversations. We're here to transform ourselves and our listeners through dialogues. So come along for the ride with us. During the pandemic, the United States was dealing with the health crisis of COVID-19 and rampant white supremacy. Historic inequalities in this country only came into starker relief during the pandemic. And Andrea Ortiz was right there in the thick of it, supporting youth organizers who, even in a pandemic, relentlessly challenged oppressive systems in schools and throughout Chicago. Andrea is a community organizer from the Brighton Park Neighborhood Council here in Chicago. We learned so much from her about building youth power and letting students and their voices guide our classrooms and communities. So take a listen and learn how to love our youth harder with Andrea Ortiz. Uh, thank you, Andrea, uh, for coming on Pushing Praxis, um, our podcast with um, me and Celeste. Um, and we're, you know, here to kind of learn from you and what you're doing uh, in the Chicagoland community. Um, and so uh, right now we, w- we want you to kind of introduce yourself as you would want to be known to our listeners. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Andrea Ortiz. I'm lead organizer with the Brighton Park Neighborhood Council. So I was born and raised on the southwest side in Brighton Park of Chicago. I went to CPS. Um, so I went to Gonzales Academy and then Curie High School where I had Nina as a teacher for science, like all, basically all my years of high school. And you made biology really fun for me and chemistry. Um, and now I'm still working with community members, uh, specifically young people, um, POC youth in Chicago. Oh, okay. okay. Can you tell us a little bit more about your, like, can you get into a little bit more about your role working with youth in Chicago and if and how that intersects with schools in Chicago, in the city? Yeah. So when I first started organizing with Brighton Park Neighborhood Council, I started organizing by supporting a lot of youth groups in the schools. So we do it through student voice committees. So in these student voice committees, students learn how to identify problems and issues in their school and basically set out and put together a campaign to help change policy or shift a culture within the school. Uh, so that's how we're supporting a lot of like the high schoolers and also all the middle schools in the southwest side. So we work with the boroughs, Brighton Park Elementary, um, uh, Gonzalez, Davis Elementary. Um, so I and I work really closely. I help co-facilitate the student voice committee at Curie High School. We supported the SBCs at Kelly, Back of the Arts, uh, Solorio, Hancock High School and gone in to support some of the students at Lynn Bloom as well. So it's been really great to see and work with all the students. And then um, 
a lot of the students then get connected to the campaigns in the community as they see like they intersect mm -hmm. with the campaigns that they're running within their own school. Mm -hmm. Oh wow, so can you give us an example of that? Um, of a campaign that you kind of worked on uh, with students uh, inside the school that might have kind of connected to the community outside? Yeah, so uh, one of the main I mean, I could name several. Um, well, yeah, so like, whatever one you feel like is relevant, like that you would want us to know about. So, yeah, I think something that what always stands out to me is like, regardless of like where in CPS you're organizing. Well, not that's a lie. Well, predominantly in like mm -hmm. black and brown schools, a lot of the issues that students always bring up, and I, it's funny because I was talking to an organizer about this um, from like New York and they have the same issue and it's like the same issues that come up. It's always like the campaign they want to work on is to get cleaner bathrooms, better food, mm -hmm. and improve the relationship between students and staff and like admin. So like improve school culture. Mm -hmm. And it's always like, so it's, all. I think when we talk to students about like these like issues and like the lack of resources, it also always comes down to like, um, the way that schools are not equitably funded and also ultimately the way that communities are being funded in Chicago and in these like urban areas throughout the country. Um, so when I first started organizing with students, it was like all these charter schools were popping up and like opening next to like neighborhood um, community schools, community high schools. And because of the student-based budgeting and the way that schools are funded in CPS, all the parents are like, I would rather send my child to that really nice, shiny, like, charter school that opened up a block away mm. from their neighborhood school. Mm. So when we saw these charter schools popping up next to our schools, the population decreased in our schools and along went the money. But then mm. students that are in like sped or bilingual ed or considered like troublesome were then sent back to our schools but then that money stays in that charter school so then our schools were overpopulated with like no resources and so those were like some of the main or one of the main things that we saw and students identified as well oh okay okay so what are you working right now with students during the pandemic yeah, it's been crazy, and I'm so grateful for all the students who have been throwing down all summer since the pandemic started, like mm. putting their bodies on the line because they're exhausted. So another thing that came up on top of like the way that schools are funded is the fact that Chicago public schools and CPD are spending $33 million on police and schools. So this mm -hmm. is a campaign that students have been working on since 2017. Um, students are like, we're in a pandemic right now. And they, this was like in the spring, we were kind of catapulted through the campaign. So it's like, we're in a pandemic right now. Our parents are out of a job. Majority of our parents or family members are undocumented. We didn't get any like governmental like CARES Act money or check stimulus yeah. check that everyone else got we can't afford rent we can't afford food and you're spending 33 million dollars on police and schools we're now we're not, we're not even in schools so these were a lot of the demands like if and when we ever go back 
our schools don't have soap. They don't have paper towels. They don't have hand sanitizers. Yeah. Um, they don't have all these resources that we would need to feel a little bit more comfortable. Um, mm-hmm. So these are like a lot of the demands um, that students were putting forward and also the emotional strain and the lack of counselors and social workers in our schools and nurses, um, which mm-hmm. are essential. So these students ran that campaign over the summer calling for police out of school. So that was a, ro- a beautiful roller coaster, I like to say. So yeah. what do you, do you feel, um, did you get any wins uh, getting uh, police out of schools uh, with the schools that you're working with? Um, yeah, I think it's been a tug of war, definitely. Um, but what we were able to see because of the uprisings and because of the way that the stars aligned um, in 2020 in like every aspect of everyone's life. Right. Um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I thought Yeah, I feel that we were able to kind of energize more young people, energize more teachers, more parents, mm. and really talk about what does safety really look like not only in our communities but also like pushing them to think about like what safety looks like in our schools so although uh, the students were magical over the summer and I still think like the fight doesn't end here like only continues and can only continue to like push more and more like we were able to cut the budget from 33 million down to 10 million dollars which was huge and mm-hmm. Regardless, like we were forced into a multi-target, multi-strategy campaign where we were going after city council, we were going after the board of education, yeah. we were going after the mayor, and then we were forced into like local LSE fights, which were like yeah. a whole new monster, and like learned about LSEs and like their processes and the importance of like LSEs and also like how underfunded and disenfranchised they have been, specifically mm-hmm. in like black communities and Latinx and documented communities. Um, so we were able to win 17 LSEs. So like able to, and when I say that, I mean like 17 LSEs were able, voted to get police out of schools. Knowing that they couldn't reinvest that money into other services, but thought that like it didn't matter because having police in schools is really dangerous. And it was really powerful, for example, at Kiri, one of the parent LSE members shared that like her son had been attacked by an SRO when he was in elementary school. Mm. And it's and like so what's the what's the SRO, uh, Andrea? Sorry, yes, yeah, school resource officer, but they're just like police Chicago Police Department officers that are placed in schools, like these officers are ready to retire and earn over a hundred grand <laughs> or are considered like too dangerous to be out in the street, so mm-hmm. are then placed in our children's schools um, as a punishment of some mm-hmm. sort. Yeah, I actually was there at the local school council meeting that you're speaking about, and I I just wonder um what what do what do the students and um you know the people that you work with what did y'all think really uh kind of sealed the deal uh, at the school to make um the LSC uh, say hey that's it. So what do you what do y'all feel like did it uh, at the meeting? Because it was it was a really long meeting, um, and so I just wanted to get get like, what do you you know, kind of talking with the parents and things of that nature? Like, what do you, what do you think kind of swayed the parents at the you know at the local school council meeting to vote and say no to the uh, police uh, being in schools? Yeah, I think it was really helpful for 
the parents that were on the LSC to really have understood the issue at its like root at, mm. and to I think they spent the time listening to the students doing the research like they they read the reports that the students put together from the FOIAs that they had requested they mm. asked really important questions like they have also seen the way that like SROs were useless in the school and like the waste of money that it was and also like for a lot of them personally how um, dangerous it could be for the students and have been for the students um, so also like at there's a lot of young people on that call <laughs> who were like you're not listening to us and you I think we saw a lot in LSE meetings during the vote it's like the schools conducted their own surveys and then skewed the results and like the narrative to try and like shape the narrative and it's like they their results or population size that they surveyed was insufficient and like it they made it to be like oh this is what students in our school say but only like 20 students out of 20 students out of like 3,000 students filled it out and it's like mm -hmm. that's not what your students are saying and you have like 50 students on the call right now who are telling you otherwise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so there's like, a lot of students on that call for sure. Mm. So. Mm. Yeah, so I think it was, like, a lot of, like, students, and they also, like, the community members, like, had, that were on this LSE had their, well, some of them, not all of them, <laughs> had the backs of the students and were, like, mm. we believe in, like, restorative justice, we believe in transformative justice, and, like, police don't have a role to play in that. Mm -hmm. So uh, just listening to, you know, all of that that you, that you did at uh, Curie and, and as well as the work that you do at other schools. So uh, who influences your work as an organizer uh, and educator in your own right? Yeah, I think I love this question because the way that like I've been politicized, I feel like was like later on in my life. So in high school I felt very like shielded and like even in my community it was like so I grew up in Brighton Park I saw the way that like there was like white flight and then when the white people left in my community they took all the resources and then it became a predominantly undocumented Latinx communities and none of the aldermen thought that they needed us to win in elections thus ignoring us so I all my schools were like underfunded, under resourced, um, and it just felt normal until I graduated. And it was like my freshman year in college, and it was a huge teacher strike, right? And like the school closings had happened. Oh, I always get emotional to talk about this because then I, I was on the train going to school, and it's flooded with like red. I'm like, this is so beautiful, and then I see all of my teachers. Well, y'all did not talk politics at all. Like, y'all were, like, in high school, like, y'all were very, like, we're teaching. Um, but to see you all out there fighting for, like, all these, like, resources, like, for the students, like, I thought that was, like, really powerful and beautiful. Oh, you're making me cry. Um, <laughs> it was great. Like, it was, like, I think seeing you all fighting and, like, that strike really was, like, wow, like, we have so much power, like, collectively, um, and it really, like, empowered me, so, like, I went into, like, political science and Latin American Latino studies, and, like, my passion then became, like, how are, like, 
policies like u.s policies and like city policies and state policies like impacting like our communities like how are how and why are we being disenfranchised and also like now like seeing a lot of the students that i'm working with complaining and talking about the same issues that i felt so normalized when i was a student Mm. and like for them to be like I, like, also work with sixth graders, like, in middle school, and, like, for them to be naming these problems, I'm, like, this is, like, so powerful that you all are naming this at such a young age, because it took me till I was in college to even start identifying a lot of these issues, and, like, um, just allowing and creating, like, that community for those conversations to happen with, like, all these students, with all these parents, with all these teachers, I think is what's keeping me driving, and, like, the way that we're able to collectively like fight and work together and it was really I was really happy that this last teacher strike in 2019 I was able to be a part of it and like bring a lot of young people along and for them to see their they were super excited like we rolled up in all to all the schools in our Mm -hmm. revolutionary bus had these students got out of the bus and started chanting and like joining the teachers and it was really beautiful and like Mm -hmm. fighting for Mm -hmm. It was really great. And also, like, for, like, police free schools to be part of, like, the demands and the contract, um, I think they felt heard. Mm. Oh, that's awesome. You got me over here crying. You know, if you cry, <laughs> I'm definitely going to cry. Um, so, yeah, I was just like, yeah, it, I think that that's, like, really significant to hear that, you know, uh, you know, teachers, you know, we don't know. We're just striking and we're just trying to fight for what's right and that, it had a you know such a tremendous impact on you uh seeing that action and uh wanted to be a part of it and then now uh bringing young people in to be a part of it too uh that's that's really awesome um that you're able to do that so mm-hmm. so yeah that's pretty powerful yeah, yeah i think that um uh, certainly gives me a different sense of purpose to hear that kind of stuff like oh oh the young people are watching (laughs) you know which I know I know intellectually but like it's it's really powerful that you just shared that with us that like that's part of what got you to where you are now and doing the incredible work I just want to like for anyone that's unfamiliar with what you've been up to and what the work that's happened this summer with the Brighton Park Neighborhood Council and also Asada's Daughters and people who are just lifting so like oh it was a wild amount of labor that you all did this summer. Like, and even in the spring too, like I can't, um, it's not just like the, the direct actions. It was also the research that went into it. It was also the, the education that you did with the young people, the, the way that you developed their leadership. Like that was, it was just so deeply impressive and impactful. Um, I think for the entire city, um, definitely for us. So it's, it's, uh, I say that because this is the mutual appreciation society. Like we absolutely are affected by, um, right. you know, leaders like you. And part of the reason why we want you in this podcast, like this is, it's so important for us educators to remember that students bring into our classrooms, the communities that they come from. And if we're not, if we're not privy to, to what their concerns are, to their, the work that they're doing, to the needs of their communities, then like, you know, who are we teaching? Um, and I, so on that, on that note, um, I want to, um, ask in your, in your role as an organizer with young leaders in Chicago, um, and you've talked about this a little bit, uh, with the campaigns that you and your students have undertaken, but, um, from, from your perspective, like what are some things that are working? Um, if there are, (laughs) 
<laughs> um, and then what needs to, what are some things that you're like, like this is urgently in need of change in schools right now? Yeah, I think it's like what's been working is like letting the young people lead <laughs> in terms of mm. like what they want to see and that's what I really enjoy about the student voice committees because they're the ones deciding the campaigns and identifying the problems and although like a lot of these schools are naming similar issues or problems um, they all have like their spe- very specific uh, campaign that they run so like at Kiri for example like the students one student or like it was like a couple they learned how to test water quality in their science class and then mm. noticed that one of the water fountains was shooting dirty brown water and we're like we should look into this like we shouldn't be drinking this water and like the water everywhere was coming out really gross and students were like the water looks weird so they taught the rest of the SVC students how to test the water quality in the school. So we tested, like, all the water fountains and, like, we could. And they found, like, high levels of, like, nickel and copper and, like, lead in the water. And, like, they led their own, like, student meetings. They went into the classrooms and, like, presented to the students and, like, talked to their teachers. And, like, were like, we need filtered water fountains. Like, we shouldn't be drinking this. And, like it's not okay that teachers get to have their own like water clean water in their like teacher our office spaces and we're stuck drinking this dirty water um mm-hmm. so they were able to get filtered water fountains in the school uh which i thought was really beautiful and then like back of the arts was able to like redo their disciplinary policy mm-hmm. and like at different levels of like harm what are what's mm-hmm. the, what does accountability look like so I think, like, what's been working is, like, following the lead of, like, the students and, like, listening to their immediate, like, needs and also, like, always making sure that we're censoring them. And they always let me know when I'm being adultess. They're like, hey. Scaling back. But then they're also, like, they, they could be a little adultess, too, if y'all are listening to my little middle school babies. Um, but mm. they're good. I love them. Can you, can you, I'm like really, I would love to hear you, especially as someone who can use that term like in passing, like for people that aren't familiar with adultism, like how, how is that, what is that? And like, how does it show up, you think, or have you seen it show up in schools? Yeah, it's basically like when someone who is older is belittling or gaslighting or minimizing the voice or power of someone who's like younger or like young people. Um, so that always shows up it's probably happening it's happening everywhere in our schools where like students are not being included in decision making um within the school either it be policy or any other um thing or they're just being tokenized or they're like oh i spoke to a student and then speaking more i spoke to this one student and taking that one opinion and kind of like using it as a umbrella opinion for all the students in the school mm-hmm. um, or just like not really incorporating them into a process that is genuine that is really helping them step into their power and expressing how they really feel and I think over the summer 
we try to like model that within like our coalition fighting for police out of schools or like we have a steering committee and there's young people from every organization that's involved and we would meet regularly and like we're like okay this is the really sucky part about organizing and the really boring part that we always get to do and it's not always like actions and art and like party and like fun stuff it's like we have to strategize and we have to talk about these really like difficult decisions but I think it's important to like always do and for them to feel like they're included in whatever decision that we're making especially in Mm. our schools that directly impact them yeah that's super helpful I mean I like (laughs) I think I've even got to trainings about adultism but like some of the concrete examples you just gave I was like oh I hadn't thought of that part yes and like can I can now imagine like several ways that that's happening in my in my classroom in my department and and you've just made that really concrete and thank you for for explaining that a little bit more do you think that there's like a fear there sometimes though do you do you fear sometimes uh in some of the decisions do you fear that Mm. like what are they gonna how are they gonna respond to this is it gonna be something that uh we can really do a tangible thing uh so how does that how do you manage like not like saying that hey wait a minute (laughs) so do you Mm. how do you kind of manage that because i think about like you know, when I'm in my class and I'm giving my students voice and asking them, you know, what they really want to do. Um, and then uh, sometimes it's like, you know, I, I have to be vulnerable for them uh, so that they could see that I really, really, really want to know what they are thinking uh, and not this, the answer where they just give me that answer and just to say, you know, I know this is what she wants to hear. So I always mm-hmm. try to like strip away and make sure they know that I'm really trying to understand them and so as a community organizer do you feel like um they're like really giving you their candid responses or do you know how do you work Mm. to get them to like you know really know that you're want to you want to know what they're really thinking even if it's wild like you're like I've never done that before in my life but you said you want to do this action like this then we could try it like have there ever been moments like that like where you're like oh no yeah a lot of moments like that but we always try to whatever decision we make it always has to be like I feel like we all had to come to a consensus about it and the way that I'm not we're not like no we're not doing that I feel like the way that we approach it is like I hear you here are my concerns and here are some of the consequences and I could tell you right now, we are, as a collective, we are prepared or we are not prepared to face those consequences. And like, because mm. you're putting at risk, it's like, we have young people who are undocumented. We have young people who have things on their record. Um, young people that were like applying to college or if like, let's say like we're risking arrest um, and mm. you could face a potential like felony charge. like what does that mean for you and for your family, especially in a pandemic? So I feel like we always, and then they always like, oh, I didn't think about that. And then like students Mm -hmm. would just like share like their concerns. They're like, yeah, this is how it would impact me. And we would uh, allow them to like, okay, keep sharing. And um, at the end of the day, we would try to find like a middle ground or an alternative to what was being suggested. So it's hard, um, 
because at times I was like, especially in the summer, we were tired. Like yes, all the adults yes. were exhausted. So Y'all I kind of wanted to be, they were like, let's do this or let's do that. I'm like, I am tired. I don't want to do anything, but here we are. And it was great. So like at the end of it, they're like, we're so tired. What's next? And I was like, <laughs> oh my God. You're like, I'm like, dang. I'm like, we're going to sleep for a month and then get back to that. Um, no, but they're great. And I appreciate their energy. And it's always like, what's some like, then it's like where we have to compromise. We're like, we're ready for what's next. Um, so it's like, what can we do in the meantime until um mm. there's more opportunities and an opening mm. so like what they're doing now it's like well we won a lot of lsc seats a lot of people that ran for the lsc that believe police should do not belong in schools or like how do we continue to engage lscs that voted to get police out or like lscs that voted to keep them in so they're doing like a week of workshops that they're organizing and leading themselves Mm. Yeah, so they're doing that in january so i'll share that information so it's like yeah please what's some low-hanging fruit that we could do and uh compromise in the meantime and that's what they're working on oh that sounds wow. like an awesome plan um to, wow. to move uh forward with uh with your students now what about like do you um do you see and uh, interact with parents at all and like what, what what's your perception of like what parents are thinking about the work that you have their children doing um mm. and so what do, what do you think how do you think parents feel about what you what you're doing with their students to be honest it always like these parents are just like take my child everyone is like just take my child and i'm like <laughs> you don't want to talk to me and like no, it's fine like before covid i would just like they're like oh I'll, i could go to this action or i could go to the meeting but my parents said you just have to pick me up and drop me off i'm like they trust me to drive you they never even met me like i wouldn't as a parent i would be like i want to talk to you first who are you what do you do um how old are you do you have insurance um but these parents are they're really great no i've have learned to build like really great relationships with them we used to do like a lot of trips with students too like we had students go to dc and testify at a congressional hearing on education about getting wow. police out of schools and um, this was a middle schooler and like yeah their their parents will like let them go on trips with us but we always make sure to like we always check in with the family especially during the pandemic we had a needs assessment that we did and like checked in with parents so, like do you need help paying rent do you need help with like food is there anything we could do so we were able to connect a lot of families to cash assistance um, especially because majority of them were undocumented so like really connecting them to these resources and bpnc and like we like i'm like we're here use us let us know what you need and i think that has helped strengthen or build the relationship we have with like our students and like their families now what do you have has covid um impacted uh your work with uh families like um since you're working closely with students um uh, i know as a teacher students share and say you know what's what they're struggling with uh at home sometimes they'll they'll email and say um you know their family is being impacted um so have you had like you know the students that you work with or, you know, have their families been impacted with COVID? 
19 the virus <laughs> so, <laughs> so later on in life when people listen to this uh, I want to know that when they quote unquote forget about COVID because people are going to be like what's the COVID-19 what is she talking about um, I don't think that's going to happen I don't think okay, it'll ever sorry. happen right because we're going to be living with this for a while but just in case in the future um, yeah we're asking her about the virus um, so has um, it impacted seriously though um, it's it's, it's 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 been tremendous uh to deal with i i, I lost a, a friend um that did the science fair with me uh a couple of weeks ago and you just really don't you're like her you know and you're like oh my god this is so crazy you know um and you just and you get the word that the person is sick and you think that you have a chance you know that you have time and I just didn't even anticipate um, that she she would die. I don't know why, but I was so busy working that I didn't call and, and check mm-hmm. on her. And then it's like the next email I got, they were like, oh, she passed away. I was like, oh my God, this is mm-hmm. horrible. So I, that's why, you know, I wanted to bring it back to, you know, um, you know, asking you like, have the families and the students, like have they, been impacted with you know COVID nineteen in terms of health and also education wise like how how do students feeling about uh, you know doing the remote learning <laughs> yeah so yeah that would that I definitely would want to know what you, what your students perspective on that so <laughs> yeah I think it's like I don't know if someone says they haven't been impacted by COVID nineteen I'm just assuming that they're liars or incredibly Mm. lucky. Um, I have lost family members, friends Mm. to COVID-19. I know people, like everyone I know has lost a family member, someone they love Mm. or a friend. Um, So it's been really hard for students who live in households with like like intergenerational households, like their grandma, their aunts. Um, So it's been... We've had a lot of students like message us and they're like, we have COVID or our parents have COVID and we can't, they can't work. And like, we don't know how mm-hmm. we're going to pay for like anything or get food or so. It's been really hard, uh, especially because I know like I'm specific, speaking specifically about like my Latinx culture, my Mexican culture, like when someone passes away, like we celebrate their life and it's like it's something very like personal that we have to do and like we haven't been able to celebrate and like just like grieve and I think that's been really hard for us and as a society too um so like I feel like when we are able to just take a breath and grieve it's going to be really hard um for everyone um so I think what the best that we've been doing as an organization is just like being able to connect our families and students to resources um, to make sure that they're okay and to ensure like their safety and their family safety and well-being. Um, with that being said, they hate remote learning. Um, Teachers <laughs> 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 hate remote learning too. <laughs> yeah. It's just like they, over the summer I did, um, we did one summer Chicago. So I had like 15 students so we met four hours a day virtually 
and it was Oof. so hard. I'm like, I didn't even care they had their cameras off because I had my cameras off too. And I was like, you know, we're just going to have our cameras off and just make the best out of it. But it was the best like 10 weeks with them over the summer on top of organizing and doing all this work. Um, but yeah, I just feel like they're, everyone's exhausted. Um, but from what we've been hearing from our families, like right now we're doing a survey and over 300 parents had t- like have filled out this have filled out the survey have said that they're not sending their children back so it's like 75 percent of those that have filled out the survey are not sending don't want to send their children back so like yes virtual learning sucks but i would rather do that than lose my like son or daughter's like teacher or lose them or like lose someone we love so it's been really hard but i feel like our families that we're working with get it and it's hard because they're also like essential workers right and there has been no relief for them or anything no. so it's like the city can't have it both ways yeah yeah 100 percent. yeah and and that like thinking about that too the way that you all are um kind of trying to trying to move from a place of where your communities are like you're meeting the community where they're at and that's that's what gives you direction um what like how do you think how do you think like students parents communities um need to be centered when thinking about transforming teaching like um uh in and you know you may not spend much time in the classroom you do spend a lot of time with youth i think you do have um a a kind of perspective on teaching that nine and i don't get well i'll speak for myself in a minute you're like in all corners of the city (laughs) i don't get and probably a lot of our listeners don't get like what do you the way that you you all at brighton park community or neighborhood council are centering communities, students, parents, like how do you, how do you wish that were happening in schools or how do you think it needs to be happening in, in classrooms and whatnot? Yeah, so something that I really loved when starting at working with Brian Park New World Council is like our parent mentoring program. So like our parent mentors are placed in, with teachers in our Brighton Park schools like middle schools Mm. and they're there as like assistants and like they get to know the students in like their children's classroom so it's like we believe that our schools should be like community hubs and they should be welcoming and they should be like open to our parents Mm. um so when CPS makes parents get background checks and families are undocumented or they have something on their record or whatnot like sometimes it's like parents are like oh there's a warrant out for me but that's because I didn't do my community service hours because I had to go to work or like it doesn't matter like you're making it impossible for that to happen and like you're this is a prison that you've made up and like it's been really hard pushing CPS to be more inclusive um, but it's been really beautiful seeing the, the parents make that space and create that space within the schools and it's been really great to see like the principals and like the Brighton Park schools like open up their like doors to our parents and like allow them to have their Zumba classes or their mm. yoga classes and like some like at Kiri we had yoga and like some teachers would go to yoga with their parents and I thought that was really cute um something that parents keep asking for is like for and students too is more like culturally relevant curriculum mm. um mm. is what they've been asking for um my partner is also a CPS teacher so it's been really great 
hearing and seeing like the type of he's an English teacher the type of literature that he's using to like teach his students and like the way that his students are able to connect with those stories and like poems and the authors um so it's been really great to see so I've seen it from like but also like no it's really hard um for you all to like do that and like how impossible CPS makes it for you all Mm. but um Mm. I appreciate you all pushing yeah (laughs) so what what would you want teachers to be thinking about and doing different right now so like I'm online you already know what kind of teacher I am uh, in terms of my science, my love for science, you know, I got my beakers over here. I got my goggles. I'm looking at them right now, right? Um, so what do you think, you know, what's your advice? You already know I'm struggling, right, to to survive this, <laughs> and I do no labs. No, like, can you believe I'm not doing, we're not in there doing any labs, right? And so um, just your experiences in school with the teachers, thinking about your your teachers, you know, from high school and from, you know, elementary school, and you know how they teach what they need to teach. Um, what, you know, what should you, you know, what should we be doing now? You know, uh, now that you've been through school, uh, and you have the perspective of students, you know, that are currently in school experiencing what they're experiencing. So what do you uh, think uh, we can be doing right now and, uh, you know, to make this uh, situation any better? So. Yeah, I think it's just like continuing to what was really helpful and I really enjoyed and I know it's like really hard to get this now because in person it's not happening but like I loved it when teachers would share about their life or share a little bit about themselves um, when we were like in person like I think we like there's some comfort in knowing that we're all going through it and it's like we're all going through it right now and students I feel like would I'm not speaking for them but like I know they really want to continue to like build that connection and like although it just seems like I'm just sharing about myself like you're still teaching whether or not like as you're sharing about Mm -hmm. yourself and they are still learning from you and I think that's important um with students at the Curie SBC had done a survey and because what they wanted to do was improve their their relationship with their teachers. So that was like one of the things that they were asking is like, how could you, or what would help to help improve the relationship between you and your teachers? And it's like, we want to get to know them more. We want them to share more about themselves. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's great. Um, we're all going through it and there's comfort in that and there's learning mm-hmm. in that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I. <laughs> I tell the kids all the time, like, if this is rough, and I tell them, <laughs> that I, I can't even say that you should be able to do it and survive it and all of that. I told them I've never taken seven or eight classes online before um, mm. or stayed at a computer and sat in one space for that long. I said, so this is really hard for me. So uh, for me to even do it, um, I'm, I'm struggling. So I always try to make sure they know that I know that they're struggling mm-hmm. and I don't know what struggles they're going through, but if they tell me, you know, I'm listening and I'm, I'm really open to what their suggestions are. And so that kind of takes us to um, me and can, Celeste trying to it, figure out what it is. Well, you know. Can I ask a question too, though? Cause I, cause I, I feel like you were saying before, like before Nina asked that last question, you were saying, um, oh, what were you saying? It was something about like, you know, you know, we're doing our heart best and like, I don't, it's some, 
you're giving us a lot of credit (laughs) which like yes like we work really hard and like whatever recording this on a monday night in december (laughs) this this is our like and that's that's um just me and nina being like dorky and like really wanting to like dig into this stuff right um and like there's also ways where i think like like now during the pandemic there's things that we can do differently and just that piece of like sharing more of ourselves is really helpful for me um i also though like beyond the pandemic like we have we have so much work to do in classrooms to make like teaching really transformative and the way that like like what i'm hearing you be able to do with the young people that you've been organizing the way that you've like built the culture that you built um uh in the student voice communities that you've supported in the the students that you were working with over the summer like like what are some things that you think um teachers can adopt in our teaching to sort of replicate the same kind of like that like that that work is transformative like you like you really I think have changed the lives of a lot of young people and like um what are some things that you wish were replicated in classrooms that you know work based on this the labor you put in you know and the things that you've seen happen and and like now in COVID times and like virtual learning times but also beyond you know um uh yeah I would say uh collective agreements have been really great and like deciding like these are our lines that we're cross that we're creating collectively what does accountability look like if someone crosses that line and like we are all going to be holding each other accountable I feel like the hardest thing is like maintaining and like calling out when someone crosses that line because we're all it's like oh my god like we're all friends or it's like they create this collective agreement but then like no one calls each other out for breaking it and it's like that can happen so it's like we have to be better at like uh calling each other out this like we're creating a collective brave space for each other where we want students and like the teacher to feel like they could share and they could challenge that like we we could challenge each other and where we're able to like grow from one another and mm. I think it's been really helpful to have like those collective agreements and like don't get me wrong I think it's like it's hard because admin loves student voice until their power is challenged or like students start challenging policy that they're like no that's that cannot happen and it's been hard because like in those instances like these students are really doing the work and like pushing and then like I'm like I will happily always take the fall for whatever happens like we've been kicked out of schools because of the organizing students have done but it's like I'm happy to do that and it's very like bringing it back to like adultism like principals would be like oh you're telling the students to do this and do that and it's like no, they actually did this by themselves and we were on vacation when they organized this action in their school. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm like literally in New York and you're calling us really upset about something that happened in your school that I knew nothing about mm-hmm. until I saw it on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> mm-hmm. so I think it's like, I'm, and it's like, yeah, I think like because that level of like brave space and like safety doesn't, it's not there in the schools. I think it's important 
for like teachers to push to at least have that within their classroom where students feel mm-hmm. like they could challenge and push and like have these discussions without just being shut down completely. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I think that um, some some people may call that, you know, teachers being warm demanders where you're, you know, demanding excellence from your students, um, but you also have that compassion and that empathy to the circumstance that they're going through. Um, and you kind of give, you know, you kind of solicit, you know, for the voice of the students to try to see where they're coming from. And so I think that that's a really powerful thing to do. Um, uh, and you give up, you know, you, you have to give up power uh, sometimes mm. in classrooms uh, to, and you have to just look, look at the data. You know, I'm a science person, right? I'm looking at the data, I'm like, <laughs> you know, this is not going good. So we need to figure mm-hmm. something out here. Let's Let's talk. Let's come to some common ground, like you said, and let's see what we all are here for. What are we here to do together? Uh, even though it's a pandemic, um, we still are here to do something to, with each other. And like you said, calling students out um, and, and saying, hey, this is what I've been doing um, in my work. There's going to be evidence of my work. What, what about you? Like, where's the evidence of your work? Um, and I think that that's really critical in this time and space right now. Uh, for for us teachers to hold students accountable and let students hold us accountable too mm-hmm. um, for yeah. our actions. And so my students constantly be like, you didn't give us a break, Miss Hike. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where's our asynchronous learning at, Miss Hike? Mm-hmm. So I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, <laughs> you know, so just keeping track. It's It's so hard to keep track of everything. You know, you're trying to keep track. But I do agree with you about, you know, having that accountability for each other in this space. Um, mm-hmm. You can see, you know, if you kind of get that going, uh, some good things can happen for you, um, I, I think, so, in, in, the, in the classroom space. And so um, what, what we normally do is we try to, you know, we listen to what you tell us, um, <laughs> and um, we try to figure out something um, in our class that we could do, that we could say that, you know, later on, we'll, we'll, we're going to have... Uh, a future episode where we kind of talk about the things that we kind of got from um, you and other uh, uh, interviews that we did, and so I, I don't, I don't know, like I, I'm, I'm, I don't know, Celeste. What, what are you thinking? I, yeah. So, so like, so I think, I think, um, uh, let's see, a couple of the pieces that I that I want to take away. I, this sounds really like. Okay, so there's like a few pieces that I'm like really that really stuck with me from what you're saying, Andrea. One was, and this is really silly, but that piece that you're saying that when you go into schools, you were talking to some organizer in New York, and the thing that you found a lot of times was that students wanted two of the things out of the three were cleaner bathrooms and better food, right? And that really makes me think about creature comforts in school. And just like, when I say creature comforts, I mean like things that like are just about like your body below your neck. And like, I've been saying this to students during the pandemic when we are virtual learning, I make them stand and stretch. And I'm like, remember that you have a body below your neck. Cause like, I forget a lot of the time and like we yeah. need to love that. And that's part of our learning. And 
And I wonder about making that part mm. of my classroom and not like, not like I can <laughs> give them cleaner bathrooms or better food, but like, you know, like what are, what are some of the things that like are part of the whole bodily experience in my classroom, um, that are, that's like a kinesthetic or even, um, uh, aesthetic, like the, the actual environment. We've talked with other teachers about that on here too. Um, and that's something that like kind of stuck with me. I was like, wow, that sounds trivial. And it's not, it is a hundred percent not. There's a reason that young people want that everywhere. Um, so that really sticks with me. And then the, the other piece of course is like, like I've done collective agreements in my classroom. I'm learning how to do those better. And I think the piece that I haven't really done is like, like I spent like a whole day, maybe a day and a half on like building those collective agreements. We come back to them often and whatnot, but we didn't ever have the piece of conversation where it's like what happens when someone doesn't do this and what you were just saying Nina which is like there's so much to keep track of so like I forget things I think I think what would be powerful for me to do is like to relinquish some control and ask there to be like designated people who help hold space for those collective agreements so that when there is like a lack of accountability we have multiple um multiple people who are are able to to name that and it's not just on the teacher who's also like losing my mind most of the times, so like just trying to keep track of everything. Um, you know, uh, it's, it, it is, if this is a class that's like supposed to be a community, then how collective can we make it? Um, this is a theme that's been coming up in a lot of our conversations so far that I'm like, Oh, I gotta do this. Uh, but those are a few things that kind of are sticking with me. Um, yeah, I'm thinking, the uh, you know, we used back in the day, um, when we were all stressed out, um, at Curie <laughs> teaching, doing IB. It made me, as soon as she said that, it made me think about Miss Barnes having us do that yoga and stuff and meditation. Oh, we knocked <laughs> out. We were supposed to like meditate and everyone was snoring. Like, oh. I remember when I did, we were so tired. <laughs> you were probably so relaxed too. That's so important. You got to relax. <laughs> yes, but they were so stressed. And um, I just, when you said that, Celeste, it made me think that, you know, every kid, everybody's so stressed right now. And I just feel like that might be something like I could do this week um, to see how they feel about it. Like, I'm going to find a good one. Y'all got any recommendations? Like a short one? Anybody like got? a yoga or meditation? Oh, meditation, yeah. That oh, we could check do. out YouTube, man. That's a really good idea. Just like hit up YouTube. Hit up YouTube and see. There's a lot of apps they... too. The, like Yes. Apps where you could download and they have different like meditations depending on like if you're trying to go to sleep if you're just trying to relax or control your breathing mm-hmm. they're really good yeah oh, okay but, so yes. just youtube that might be something that i could do um because totally. i totally. haven't done that yet because i i just want them to know that i told the kids i i can't see you um to see how you're doing because normally if we're in class i can see your face i can mm. see your body and I can understand from your body language how you're feeling and doing because I'm yeah. really in tune with students and I look at them and I'll be like, what's wrong with you? You know, um, mm-hmm, but I can't I can't mm-hmm. do that now. Um, and so I told them that's why I'm asking you every day. I'm like, how's everybody doing? How y'all doing? Like, I said, I'm not just asking y'all. I'm, I'm trying to come through the computer. I'm like, how, how's everybody <laughs> doing? I'm one of those people yeah. that need to know. Yeah. Uh, so I think that this might be a good way for me to like, try to like share some more of my teacher love through the computer like i, I mm-hmm. want to know i want you to know that i care i really mm-hmm. care about how you're doing um and a lot of students yeah. said that's stress too so that might actually work yeah. so that might be something yeah. i could do so okay yeah. that's always right. like self-care yeah. is like my middle schoolers that's always like something like oh really we could do any workshop like what workshop do you want and they're like self-care and i'm like that makes mm. me so sad 
and like you're mm-hmm. in middle school and you're feeling all this like stress and like pressure and like wow. none of that it doesn't get any better in high school Right, yeah. right. It does not get and it's also bad. so it's yeah. it's so Eurocentric to like uh-huh. place education all up in your brain. You know that there's nothing that there's nothing like below your brain that is relevant for your your education as like a human being. Um, and so I think I want to push to just that like there is there is a narrative there that I think is rooted in white supremacy to detach students from their full person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for us to like to take that seriously when students say things like I want a cleaner bathroom and I want better food, like that has to do with their whole person at school um and so i think i think uh like also maybe even being transparent with students about (laughs) what we're trying to fight against when we do things like this you know um yeah yeah, because it's kind of mechanistic now it's like we're machines now like i feel like you know we we got to pick between the blue field and the red field and be like what are you gonna do today you know from the basics right you're like jesus this is a lot Um, and yeah. I, I told them we got to step back sometimes and uh, and really think about what we're doing with students. I often yeah. did that. I, I would We would go like whole class periods where we would just talk to each other um, yeah. and not like have class. Like kids, is, they're like, oh, my God, 15 minutes that fast, you know. But sometimes it's yeah. really good to have that break and, and talk to students and let students talk about things with you. Um, and I think that that's really helpful, but, um, I do that. I still do that now. Um, but I also <laughs> want to do, like, I do want to do the meditation thing. Uh, so that's what I think I'm going to try, Celeste. Um, and you said you're going to do, uh, what did you say you're going to do? What I did forgot. I say I was going to do? Um, so I mean, I might, I, I might try to, I don't know if I can do this. Well, yeah, I, I want to, I want to come back to our collective agreements with my students and like build in the piece about accountability. Cause I think that's something that I, that I have been trying to hold myself and I don't know that I can do a good job. Like you, 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 it's when you disperse that authority among the whole like collective group, like that, that makes it more effective. And so I, but trying you do to, still trying have to, to have clear. a voice in it though. So absolutely. you don't want it to be where I'm part of the like, collective. Yeah, like I'm part, I'm part of, of that process. Um, yeah. absolutely. But yeah. I think, I think dispersing that power, um, among the classroom and making sure that everyone knows that, that it's, it's all of our responsibility to do that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. You can kick it off. You can kick it off because I kicked, I kick it off. I kicked it off today. I was like, so what are we doing? So are, is everything okay, everybody? So you can know, I, I, have I to... just said one more thing. Um, so let's, absolutely. Let's, I think like what was like when we're collective agreements, like upholding them in person are a lot easier because then you're able to like have them somewhere visible that like you're always looking and like checking in, and when it's like virtual. If you're not seeing it, I w- won't remember. So, like, what we do is also, like, True. write it down, like, write the agreements down and, like, during class, have them next to you so you're always, like, ref- you could always refer and, like, look at them um, and just, like, yeah, we check have in like the We have, like, the virtual classrooms, and I, I, I definitely have to put mine up because normally I have it in class uh, on the wall, but we have uh, virtual classes, um, the Bitmoji virtual classrooms. That's what I, I have I love, one of those. Those are so cute. <laughs> yeah, and so I, I can put it on that wall. I've been saying it, but I still haven't done it yet. And it I might even be it. something to to bring into class like once a week. That's just like, what's a what's an agreement you're struggling with this week? What's an agreement you feel like you're like killing it at this week? You know, just just to make sure that people are looking at that list. And like I I did that at the beginning of the year, but like it's something that has to be returned to consistently. And you're totally right, Andrea, especially in this moment, like you out of sight, out of mind, and for good reason. They have like a billion things to keep track of, and so do we as adults. So 
just making it part of the classroom routine as well, I think is important. Yeah, and then, but you don't want to make it seem really like, I, I don't know, I think you got to really read the room too. So that's another thing um, in terms of stuff like this. You got to kind of read the room. So it, it might be something that you might need in first period, but then eighth period, they, they may not be needing like this constant referral back to the class expectations because they might most of them might be meeting it so i would say i would just be careful with um reading the room even though it's hard to read the room in the mm. virtual learning but you you can kind of see like once you start like i said when i when i kicked it off today um the <laughs> student was like 100 percent facts miss hike that's facts in the chat they were like facts you spin facts right now. You right. We we gotta we gotta do better. You know. So it's like they were accepting of what I was saying, um, but then probably t in another class, I I'm not gonna need to do that. I'm not gonna. You know. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? Because of the student that that are, that's in there. So I I would just kind of caution and and read the room and and know what students might need that uh, or not. Like first period definitely needs, yeah, a lot of support. You know. So. Yeah, I think like the way that I do it is like what Celeste had shared. Like, we would at least do it um, at the end of the session. Like, oh, is there was there any agreements we need to work on or be better at? So like, or like at the end of every week, like which agreement were we really good at, or like at holding each other accountable at, or like which one do we need to continue to work on? Or if there's like an agreement where like actually you could get rid of that agreement, we don't need it up there. Or like mm -hmm. we need to add this agreement. Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. that's the way that we have kind of done you it. You do it with like high helpful. school students or is that elementary? Both. We do it with Both? everyone, and even in like organizing spaces. Especially with adults, especially with adults, we're like we need to. Um, but mm -hmm. I think it's like sometimes it, it's hard because sometimes adults are like, "Oh, this is dumb," or yeah. you know. So it's 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 a little hard. It's students are way better at holding each other accountable than adults. <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah, I hear what you're saying. I'm just concerned about. Um, just the the apathy from it like if i do it that often you know what i'm saying so i would i, I think you know what i'm saying they'll be like oh my god is she asking about that again you, you see what i'm saying so it yeah. would have to be yeah. some for me to do it or feel like it's needed it would have to be some stuff going down for me to want to go back to it i guess it really depends on the expectations that you that the students made right so if the right. students collectively right. make it yeah. Uh, then we would have to, it would have to be something that, you know, that they are seeing. So like, if I think the breakout room saga is like definitely uh, an issue for the, for the students. Um, so them, you know, kind of being able to hold people accountable in that space. Um, I think that that's something that comes up, but if it's a, if it's a lesson, you know, I, like I said, I have to read the room and see what's happening because I would feel like at some point you know, uh, the apathy was set in and they would be like, is she asking us about that class expectation again? This is outrageous. Mm -hmm. You know, so I don't I don't know. But then I also have co-generative dialogue. So I have conversations with my students, too, to get feedback from them. So I'm not sure. I don't want to I don't know if I'm going to overdo it. They're going to be like, is she and I give out these reflection surveys. So I don't know, like the balance, like what's the good balance to, to get feedback and be like what to do. So I don't know. 
So I have to really think about that. So I'll, mm-hmm. I'll think deeply about it. But it has been <laughs> an hour. And um, we just want to know if you have anything um, you want to share that we haven't asked you about um, that you would want or us to... Or any final thoughts final thoughts yeah. for us mm-hmm. and our uh, listeners? <laughs> uh, no, I think it's just like continuing to challenge ourselves and like making sure that we are centering the right people and young people in everything that we do um specifically black and indigenous like students of color um yeah and just like holding each other accountable like other teachers accountable to that work and like thinking yeah. through like what does accountability accountability look like with your fellow teachers and I know like mm. that's hard because like some teachers are like oh we truly like there'll be a group of teachers in a school like we really support you but there's like all these other teachers that don't care about this and just care about their salaries and their pension like other stuff and don't care about like community issues um mm. So it's like, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. how are we, but also like, I think it's like, how are we supporting teachers as like they're stepping into the role and like also like protecting you all so you don't get fired for the work that you're mm-hmm. doing in the schools, but like um, mm-hmm. also like pushing that conversation um, as yeah. much as you can within your school, even though those conversations are difficult sometimes. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for that reminder. That's very important. Super important. Thank you so much, Andrea. Thank you so much for listening to Pushing Praxis, Dialogues for Transforming Teaching. We hope you enjoyed the episode and we encourage you to like and share this content with your community. Follow this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, get in touch with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or email us at pushingpraxis at gmail.com. Check out our website at pushingpraxis.org.